all, good morning. Thank you for coming out to Lexington Baptist Church. For those of you that are rejoicing over just the difference in the mask mandates and all that's coming, you're like, what's, is something going to change here in the church? Sure. Will everybody be excited about it? Absolutely. Whatever we do, everyone's going to be in full agreement, and we're going to love it because there's not been tension over how we handle masks, right? So in this coming week, we'll release a video. We decided not to do it today uh, because we didn't want people freaking out. We will try to follow as best we can. We need to take a deep breath and remind, remind ourselves Jesus is sovereign. Brother, sister, if he wants you to die today, you're going. doesn't matter which way you're going. You're going. We'll, be, we'll try to be smart. We'll try to use God's wisdom, not our own, because we're a bunch of dopes. And we'll beg God to use foolish people to bring about his good pleasure. So pray that we'll have wisdom, if you would. When it comes out, we'll rejoice that God is still sovereign. And can we be unified people when we meet here next Sunday? And it'll probably look different. It probably will. We're gonna, it's going to be kind of a hybrid, what we'll look like. We'll leave you in suspense. To rejoice in the unity God will provide coming next Sunday. But uh, just want to toss that out there. Also want to apologize for my voice. It's just allergies. Promise, it's just allergies. Um, as I jokingly say, it's the way God allows me to have a man's voice. So, moving forward. If this is your first time here, first time in a long time, we are almost at the end of the book of Isaiah and our study here. It has been, I don't know for you, it's been a joy for me. What a deep and rich theological treatise that we have here. And that's why it is called the fifth gospel. Two weeks ago, we were in chapter 58, 59. We saw in chapter 59, sin revealed. We saw sin lamented. And we saw the Savior from sin, the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come and don the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, comes in and redeems his own. This leads us into the command straight away here in chapter 60 and 61, where we'll be today. And here in 6061, we have this revelation-esque vision of the city of God, that we'll get to live with God forever. And what will that look like when that day comes? So first, we see the city of God in verses 1 through 22 of chapter 60. And the glory of God shines forth in verses 1 through 3. The city of God, or shall I say, the residents belong to the city are commanded to rise up and shine. Look at verse number one. Arise, shine. Two straight commands. For your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Again, in chapter 59, things were a mess. The people were a mess. Some of those descriptions in Isaiah 59 were used by Paul, as we talked about, in Romans 3 to describe the depravity of man. The outlook is not good. You remember the descriptions he used in Isaiah 59? Vipers. Vipers weaving spider's webs, swift to do evil feet, swift to shed innocent blood. How do these people arise and shine? How can such darkness shine out light? Then comes the key wording in the next phrase, because what does verse 1 say? Arise, shine, for your light has come. The verse does not say, arise and shine. You are the beaming light. You've always had the light. No, your light has come. It has come to you. How has your light come? Who gave this iniquitous people the ability to shine light? The end of verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen 
upon you. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's not their light, it's God's light. In this way, God's people are the moon, and he is the sun. He is the light. You know, if you're going to ask our teenagers in here to do a science project on reflecting light, few of them would grab a golf ball and cover it in flour. It doesn't seem like an adequate source of reflecting light, but that's what our moon is. It's a large golf ball in the sky full of dust. Why not a big old piece of glass? Well, can we come up with something better than that? And then you look at us. What are we supposed to be? A reflection of the light of God. And all of a sudden, a golf ball of flour seems sometimes more bright than even his own people. We are to reflect the light of God. That's what we are to do. It's not our light. It's not you're such a great person. No, it's God is so great. He's been so great to you. Reflect that to the world around you. And the light shines in darkness. Look at verse number two. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Again, this aspect of reflection like the moon. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Darkness covers the earth and light cuts through. This reminds us of Genesis 1, when God created the world. Listen to these descriptions of light and darkness in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And then, light. Shining in the darkness. I mean, can you... Try to, uh, there's no sun, there's no stars, there's no moon. God just says, let there be light. And light? Where does this come from? Where does it, is this light? The starkness of light shining through darkness is what we see in creation, and we see it here in this new city. One author said of this in Genesis, the scene is transformed as light pierces the darkness. A new world begins to emerge. If the world, if the world called into existence by Genesis 1 was very good, this one is better by far. And this light, verse, eight, as verse 3 states, draws people in like flies to a light at night. The people are coming in to see the light. People are coming into the city of God. And who comes? The nations come bringing an abundance of gifts. We see next here, nations enter. Verses 4 through 9. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They shall gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. They shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall come, shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. When Isaiah wrote this, Israel was coming to a bitter end. Remember, the northern tribes and southern tribes had already split after the times of Solomon. The northern tribes were sent into exile into Assyria. The southern tribes were trying to hang on, and they were coming close to an end. The 
They're coming closing in. And when they come back, they come back with resources to rebuild, provided by King Cyrus, as we talked about before. But they were not wealthy. They were not independent. Nations were not flocking to this city to come and see. People were coming to this city, as we see in Nehemiah and Ezra, to mock and deride. So obviously this isn't the time after the Babylonian exile. But we continue to see descriptions of the last days. Look at verses 6 through 9. Look at the abundance that's coming. A multitude of camels shall cover you, your young camels of Midian, Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold, frankincense, bring good news, praises of the Lord. The flocks of Kedar shall be gathered. Rams of Nebuchadnezzar shall minister you. They shall come upon, come up to my acceptance on my altar. Now beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their window? Speaking of people like flocking in. Verse 9, for the coastlands shall hope in me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar. There's silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God, for the Holy One Israel, because he has made you beautiful. God is going to make this new city beautiful. People are going to be flocking in from every direction. And Isaiah is using every description he can think of to speak of what is good around us. Imagine the best of that flocking into the land. People bringing gifts from afar. God makes his city beautiful with the goods of the other nations. Gentiles are also seeing help build, build up the city. In verses 10 through 18, where we see the city of God renewed. But before we get to 10 through 18, and the city of God renewed, and, th and that is going to be our next point here, you, you have to ask this question, how do we know for sure? Because I just mentioned, you, this, this can't be the Babylonian exile, the return from it. How do we know for sure? Well, let's look at verses 10 through 18, the city of God renewed. And as we're going through this, listen to these, the, these descriptions. And you're going to recognize this is not the return from Babylon. Foreigners, verse 10, shall build up your walls. Well, let's stop there. There's a problem. Because when they returned from exile from Babylon, the foreigners were not building up the walls. It was the people of God. It was the people of Israel in Nehemiah and Ezra. And their kings shall minister to you, minister to you, verse 10, for in my wrath I struck you, but in favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually day and night. They shall not be shut again. Well, again, pause. Nehemiah 7, Nehemiah has to give the command, the gates have to be shut every night because we're going to get taken over. People are trying to actively kill us. We have to shut the gates. So obviously, again, this is not speaking of that time. Continuing in verse 11, that people may bring to the wealth of the nations with their kings led a procession. For the nation, the kingdom that will not serve, you shall perish. Those nations shall be laid utterly to waste. When the Israelites return from exile... Were all the nations that wanted them to die, did they all perish? What's the answer? No. No, the nations that were opposing them were still opposing them. As Nehemiah and Ezra show time and time again. Verse 13. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. Now make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. All who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I'll make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. When people think of Jerusalem, when people think of the people of God, do they naturally think those people aren't hated at all? Is that what people think right now? Nobody hates them as Rockets just in the last week, 1,500 or more are getting bombarded into Israel. Now, 
whether you agree or disagree on Palestine and Israel and all the stuff that goes into it, historically, it's easy to admit the people of Israel, the, pe- the Jewish people, have had a long list of people that have hated them. Is that a fair assessment? And it will continue, and it will continue, and it will continue. Why will it continue? Sin is a good thing to remember. Yep, sin. And the promises of God. That there will be a day when that won't happen anymore. And God's people won't be hated, and they won't be attacked. And they're not going to worry about having an iron dome over their head. For God will be their wall. He will be their peace. And we'll get to be with him at that time. But hatred for the Jews is, is still present. It's not past. Again, Isaiah is looking beyond even our own day. Verse 16, you shall suck the milk of the nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, <coughs> the Mighty One of Jacob. All this renewal, or should I say this new Jerusalem, all this abundance and goodness is brought about by the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Mighty One of Jacob. Everything they can imagine about how great things could be, God says it's going to be even better than that. God promises an even more glorious city than even what they can fathom. When Solomon had built the temple, it was glorious. And when people went into exile and they came back, they lamented what they saw when the temple was rebuilt. They're like, oh, it's not what it used to be. Well, Isaiah is going to give them a description of what this will look like, and they're going to look think back to what they had in Solomon's day, or even now we look back to what they thought they had in Herod's day, and God says it's going to be ten times better than that. Look at verse 17. Instead of bronze, so instead of covering this in bronze, it will be gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace, your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Again, it's not what we hear about Israel now. Devastation or destruction within your borders. It's not going to happen. You shall call your wall salvation. You shall call your gates peace. No more violence. This is future, not past. No destruction within the borders. This is a time of peace. This is a time to look forward to. All peoples will call the walls salvation. They're going to call their gates, are going to be named praise. They're redeemed forever. They're protected forever. They can enter forever. They can worship forever. This is the future of those that are God's people. Verses 19 through 22, throughout all of this, we see God is glorified. Verse 19, the sun shall no more be your light by day, nor your brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten. As we're going through this chapter, I'm, I'm trying to argue as best I can. This is not the return of Babylonian, from the Babylonian exile. And if you're not convinced, uh, I'm going to put up here behind you, uh, or Jeff's going to, uh, put up behind you here, Revelation 21, 22 through 26. We're going to compare. This is the description of the new Jerusalem. Stay right here where you're at, 
So I want you to look at the screen and let's, let's compare Revelation 60 with Revelation 21, 22 through 26. Um, again, if you disagree with me on this, tell you what, as we're walking back there, give me an air five on the way out. I don't care. It's not going to bother me at all. You know, if you have a different timeline in eschatology, I don't care. Jesus will return, and when he does, it will be glorious. And all of our questions will be answered, and we can all relax, okay? So at that time, it'll be happy. But this is why I think the New Jerusalem, look at Revelation 20 21, sorry, 21, 22 to 26, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Isaiah 60, verse 19. For the glory of God gives its light. Isaiah 60, verse 19. And its lamp is the Lamb. Isaiah 60, verse 20. By its light will the nations walk. Isaiah 60, verse 3. And the kings of earth will bring into their glory into it. Isaiah 60, 10, and 11. Its gates shall never be shut by day. Isaiah 60, 11. And there will be no more night there. Isaiah 60, 20. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Isaiah 65, Isaiah 60, 13. Those seem to be striking similarities. Disagree with me? Air five. That's okay. But to recognize that there are a number of similarities. Okay? We would try to think through. This is not the return from the Babylonian exile. Were there some similarities that the wealth was provided by Cyrus? Absolutely. It was may have been a picture in part, but it was not in full. Could, well, what about this? Could it be? Sure. sure. There's a lot of different ways you can look at Isaiah chapter 60. But the full, the final, it seems to me the best description is we're looking ahead to the new Jerusalem. But we cannot miss, regardless of where you stand on this, please do not miss the point of what we're talking about here. It's not when, it's what. Who cares when? It will happen. But what will happen? What will happen? First, God will be in our midst. That, my friends, is awesome. He won't just be in you. He will be in you, with you, and to you. Well, he is here. Yes, but here. Like here, here. Tangible see him he'll be here can you describe like what will that be like can you describe the greatest feeling you've ever had in your life think back and for you some of you might be back when you were a kid opening up a christmas present imagine the greatest feeling you've ever had and times it by a zillion like well that's not a number that's why i chose it you you can't how do you describe it to be able to be with god god in our midst here He's here. We can see him. We can feel him. We can hear him. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incomprehensible. It will not just be joy, but it will be pure joy. Pure joy. It will be pure satisfaction. There's no more morning. There's no more night. There's no bedtime. I love bedtime. I like sleeping. There's been, you don't even need to take a nap. And I like naps, but it's going to be better without one. No more moon, no more sun. God is our everlasting light. In Michigan, you know, where I grew up, we didn't have a lot of sun. Um, and sometimes, you, you think it's always cold up here. Actually, some of our summers were actually warmer than they are here. Odd as that may seem, it's just how it is. But sometimes it's really hot, sometimes it's really cold. But the sun was uh, 
constantly missing it. So every day, the person will come up, tell us about our weather, and you're going to hear this word, overcast. It's overcast. My, my wife and I moved to Guam, and we lived in the sun next to the equator. The sun was out all the time. And we came back to the States in the middle of the summer and went to Michigan. And for a week, we're sitting there. And after like two, three days, I'm like, have you seen the sun? I just like, you can't see the sun. There's no sun. And I grew up with this. There's no sun. And I remember as a kid going to our back window, we had this sliding glass door next to our, our back porch. And the sun would come through. And there's a little spot that would kind of angle. And I, I would sit down in that little spot because the sun was coming in. Those few moments in Michigan, yeah, I'd grab it. You're sitting next to feel the warmth of the sun, but it's not just warmth you feel. Have you ever picked a seat in a restaurant or in a place where you could feel the sun? It's not just warmth. It feels good. That is a gaseous ball of fire. Imagine what it's like to turn around the corner and just go. The true light. Will you need sunglasses? I don't know. Is there an SPF that we'll need? I don't know. Will it be cuffs? Will it be tan? I don't know. What will it feel like? I don't know. It will be fantastic. Just wherever I turn, sun is light. It's the sun, the S-O-N. Just basking in his glory. What warmth. Will it feel like? Full. But not hot. Happy. Pure. Just joy. God in our midst will be awesome. Also, our final transformation. Again, another what. Our final transformation is unfathomable. Besides dwelling with God, what we will be what will it be like to finally feel and be completely righteous? To be at that day where not another sinful thought goes through your mind. To never have a day again where you have to walk to a family member and say, I'm sorry because I was wrong. To be able to finally be fully righteous. What will that be like? Verse 21, your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands. We will be completely righteous. We won't be able to sin anymore. We'll be in the land with God forever. And what are we called at the end of verse number 21? The work of his hands. We are the work of his hands. One commentator said of this transformation, the ultimate transformation that the Savior produces is not changing bronze into gold or iron into silver. Rather, it is changing people who are helpless in sin, incapable of acting in righteous ways, <coughs> into righteous people. People who are truly seen as the kind of shoots that the Lord has set out. These are the people who have in them a brightness that outshines the sun or the moon. The Creator Himself, the Holy One of Israel, shines out of their lives. What higher place in the order of reality can there be more than to be the work of my hands for the display of my splendor? What greater calling could you have than to be the work of his hands? God in our midst 
of yes. Us finally fully changed to be righteous people forever, unfathomable. What a day that will be. Next in chapter 61, we see the Son of God in verses 1 through 3. <coughs> Look at 61, 1 through 3. We see the Son of God. Look at verse number 1. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of the Lord God, the Father, is upon me, God the Son. Because the Lord has anointed me, the Lord, the Father, has anointed me, Son, to bring good news to the poor. He, the Father, has sent me, Son, to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Does this text sound familiar to you? It should, because we just read it, or Clyde read it, in our scripture reading today. In Luke 4, 18-19, Jesus quoted this text as he stood in the synagogue in Nazareth. Providentially, or if we don't know whether he asked for it, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. No chapter markings, no verse markings, scroll. He enrolls it to a place, Isaiah 61. He reads a verse and a half, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2a. And he reads it. And he reads this verse, the Holy Spirit of God is upon me, and he continues on. Let's claim the year of the Lord's favor is too. And he stops, rolls it back up, and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Ten verses later, the people of Nazareth are trying to kill him. It didn't go over so well. The suffering servant, the Messiah, the anointed one, is proclaiming good news and actually reading the good news to his own people. Good news to the poor, liberty for the captives, and the Lord's favor, and he was received with wrath. However, Jesus stops halfway through verse number two and doesn't read the end and the day of the vengeance of our God. One writer said of this, what Isaiah saw as one messianic work, the Lord Jesus divided into two. There's the salvific purpose of his first coming, the judgmental component of his second. He is the Savior, absolutely. He is also the judge. When he first came, he came as the Savior of the world. But he will come one day, and he will judge the nations. He's also not just a savior and a judge, he's also a gracious, giving God. Look at verse number three, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Instead of ashes on their head, their crown, instead of mourning, gladness, instead of a towering oak, Instead, they'll be like a towering oak planted by the Lord. Instead of being planted by the river of water in Psalm 1, they're planted by the glory of God. And who gets the glory for this massive transformation? Look at the end of verse 3. That he may be glorified. God gets the glory because he's the one doing the work. It's his work in us. Next we see the priest of God. 
to the city of God, the son of God, the priest of God, verse number four, they shall build up the ancient times. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall tend, stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen, vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. In their glory, you shall boast. Instead of your shame, they shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. God takes sinful people, and he makes them righteous. If that weren't enough, he makes them priests, according to verse number six, ministers of Israel. They've gone from unholy to holy, from righteous, from unrighteous to righteous. They've gone from idolaters to priests of God. They've gone from oppressed to being saved. They've gone from ridicule and derision to a double portion of blessing. Why? Look at verse number 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of peoples. All of them shall acknowledge them. And they, that they are an offspring of the Lord, that the Lord has blessed. God has not forsaken his promise to Abraham. God will keep his covenant. He will be faithful to do what he said he would do. The promises he made to his people, he will keep. And he will make right the wrongs. He's a just judge. He is a faithful Savior. So how should God's people then respond to this God. Look at Isaiah 61, 10, and 11. We're going to just see the praise of God. You're the city of God, the son of God, the priest of God, and the praise of God. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and a garden causes what is sown in it to be sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. God's people praise God. God's people praise God. It's what we are to do. This verse gives us at least two main reasons. First, God will clothe his children in righteousness and salvation. Uh, righteousness and salvation. Final and full salvation. Final and full righteousness. We are completely righteous. We are fully saved. These will not be robes that we have to check in and check out. Will they have my size? What is this temporary? No, this is a status. This is who we are. This is who we will be. This is what God will turn us into as a finally, fully saved, finally, fully righteous person. And at great cost to himself, he bedazzles us with good things. Next, we also see that God not, will not only cause us to be righteous, but that the righteousness and praise will sprout up like a fountain before all the nations. This true utopia. God is in our midst. We are with him. Forever we are basking in his light. We turn a corner and we feel the warmth of God. We look to our right and we see righteousness springing out of the ground like old faithful. Just bursting up. And we turn to our left and people are shouting and praising our God. Feeling his warmth. Righteousness is flowing. You're like, 
Pastor, these, these are all metaphors. It's not going to be like a fountain of true, you know, you know, righteousness is spewing out. You're going, I, I know. Do you have a better way to describe it? I don't know. I don't, how do you describe it? The righteousness just, it's just everywhere. It's, his praise is everywhere. His light is everywhere. It's just, it's, it's good. That's a bad choice of a word. It, you, what's a better word? Our language fails. Words fail. It's going to be heavenly. It's going to be heavenly. His righteousness is springing up. His praise is going forth. God's light is showering on us. So God's people praise him. What do we sing today? Gloria. Gloria, glory to God alone. We could have that song on repeat for all of eternity and we wouldn't get tired of it. The only problem is that song only covers five aspects of praising God. It could be perhaps we just continue to learn a new song every day about a new aspect of His majesty. And just bad, I didn't know that. Of course you didn't. I created you. You can't comprehend it all. But now, I'm going to let you understand this about me. Ooh. I can't, this is awesome. Wait till tomorrow. When's tomorrow? Uh, there's no days. There's no nights. It'll feel like a day. It'll feel like a thousand years because there's no time. What is that like? I don't know. It will be heavenly. It will be heavenly. That's why they sing the old song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. That's why we live today to reflect the light because it will be worth it all. Well, what would be worth it all? I get to be with my family. I get to walk on streets of gold. Oh, my soul, no. God is in our midst. You are finally, fully saved and redeemed. What's gold? What did Jesus say about my family? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Family. We have God. What more do we need in heaven than him? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Our trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face. What does it say? All sorrows will erase. So daily run the race till we see Christ. So what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, have you ever received Christ as Savior of your sin? Verse 60, uh, sorry, verse 16, verse uh, chapter 60, the Lord, I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer. Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been saved? He is gracious, but as we saw, He's also judge. He's gracious, but He's also judge. I beg you, come to Him today. Admit that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we say this often. Sunday after Sunday, he is the Christ who did come, who did die, who did rise, who did ascend on high. He still lives today, interceding. 
whosoever calls will be saved. We beg you, call on him today. Allow him to save you, forgive you of all your sin, so that you might become the light of the world. God can shine his light through you. If you're here and you claim to know Christ as your Savior, let me ask you a question, Christian. Are you accurately reflecting the light of Christ? Are you accurately reflecting the light of Christ? You ever notice that the moon reflects the sun? Some days it does it better than others. You ever notice that? Why do we sometimes just get that, what do you call it, God's thumbnail? Why is it just a little bit? Christian, are you accurately reflecting the light of God to the world around you? When people see you, they see the light of Christ. Next in Isaiah 60, 21, we saw that God's people are the work of his hands that glorify him. Today and forever, we are the work of his hands. Ephesians 2.10, right after we hear, for by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our lives now, forevermore, are to be the work of his hands. Does your life resemble the work of his hands? A while back, I used... We had, a, we had a canceled service because uh, of COVID. And um, I did in our little live stream we did, I pulled up a Play-Doh man. And some of you are just amazed by my ability to use Play-Doh and sculpt. And I say that facetiously because that, that's not my skill. And if you went and go to Lee Taylor and watch him craft something out of pottery, and you're going, that's, that's a skill I don't have. Is your ability to show the workmanship of the Lord, is it the fault of him? Is it his hands aren't skilled enough? Or is the fault in the clay? Being unyielding to what the master's trying to do. Where's the fault? When you saw my Play-Doh man, you realized that is not his calling in life, that Pastor Mike should never be a sculptor. Nothing wants to be the work of his hands. Christian, you are his workmanship. Is God shaping you? Trying to mold you? I mean, you don't want him to? Do you want to answer that call? Do you want to obey that command? People ought to see you. If they went to see Lee Taylor's stuff, and they would, then you saw mine, they'd be able to pick out whose is whose. When people see you, do they see that's God's workmanship? That is a beautiful blessing. We are supposed to. And when people see that, they're supposed to give glory to God. What good works have you done? Right? We're created by Jesus for good. What, what good works have you done that show the world that Jesus is your Savior? Lastly, how will you praise this mighty Savior? We saw 
today that God will be in our midst. And it's going to be fantastic. It's not saying we're going to be finally transformed. We're going to be robed in righteousness. We're going to finally be, fully be saved and redeemed. So how should you praise Him? Just in words? Just by singing a song? Just by showing up once a week? Just by reading His Bible once a week? In what way and how would you praise this God? It will be worth it all. So which dream are you living? How can you praise Him? How long should you praise Him? In what ways will you praise Him this week? It's going to be fantastic. Again, you and I may disagree on end times, when everything's going to happen. Welcome to the party. Nobody really knows. God knows. We don't. So if anybody tells you, I know everything, they're dope. They don't. There's a lot of gray we don't know. It will happen. When is not the discussion. What? What will it be like? He will be in our midst. We will be finally fully changed. That is worth a millennia of praise and more. It will be worth it all. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As we do, let's take 30 seconds to a minute and let's pray. Ask you, Christian, speak, speak to the Lord. Ask him, God, what would you have me change? Am I reflecting you accurately? Am I the workmanship of your hands the way I ought to be? Perhaps this time just needs to be you just thanking the Lord. Maybe you need to turn around in your chair. I don't know what you need to do. Just thank the Lord for his kindness to us. Friend, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I beg you, come to him today. See myself afterwards. See a Christian friend you came with and talk to us. Let's take 30 seconds of silence. Let's go to the Lord, and then we'll pray and sing one last song. Jesus, we thank you for being the anointed one that came, that proclaimed liberty for the captives. Father, we thank you for sending your son. Spirit, we thank you for anointing him and his work. So now, Father, Son, and Spirit, we, we ask, do and work in us that we cannot get a credit for. Help us reflect you well. Help us to be your workmanship that other people may see and sense God is with us. Lord, for the friend that's here that does not know your Savior, Lord, there, there's, got, there's better ways to describe what it will be like to be with you forever. But Lord, I pray that they would understand that you love them and today they may accept you as Savior and Lord of their life. Lord, for the Christians that are here, help us, Lord, at Lexington Baptist Church to be good, true reflections of our Savior.
willing objects in the hand of the potter to be his workmanship here on earth. Enduring, suffering the struggles and trials as a good soldier, knowing it will be worth it all when we see Christ. And Lord, there are some here that come in today that are maybe struggling and suffering, and, and it, we're going to sing here, based on Psalm 130, Lord, out of the depths I cry to you, and maybe that's where they're at. But Lord, whether it's been a hard day or a great day, a long week, a hard week, a long year, a hard year, or a great year, Lord, may we wait for you, as the psalmist says. Because your love is our delight. And one day we will get to be with you forever. And it will be worth it all. In Jesus' name we pray.